So if you found Mark chapter 6, why don't you stand and we'll read together God's word. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, I'll call your attention down to verse 53. We'll read from verse 53 down to verse 56. Here is a summary of sorts. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin now at verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was and wherever he came in villages and cities or countrysides. They laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it, were made well. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will speak to your people, that you would bring healing and hope, that you would bring back the joy of our salvation, that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would make it so that we might stand in your grace. I pray for every bit of brokenness that was brought into this room today. We ask you to bring healing. In Jesus' name, amen. From time to time, usually around my birthday or sometimes at Thanksgiving, oftentimes at Christmas, I'll get a text from a number that I don't recognize. Now, I used to get that text and I would pretend like I recognized and work in the conversation until I finally figure out, okay, who this person is. But I kept messing that up. You know, you get to a certain age, you start thinking, I don't care, just let their feelings be hurt. <laughs> so now it's, I'm just, <laughs> ask the question, who is this? I get a text, I don't know the number, I just ask, who is this? When I read Mark chapter 6, it's as if Mark has been asked the question, who is this? The whole chapter. All of chapter 6 is written as if somebody has asked Mark, tell us who Jesus is. That's exactly what it does. So if you're, if you're new to coming to church or if you're new at Hickory Grove, you picked a great Sunday to be here. Now, before we get to the passage I just read, I'd like to deal with, uh, in chapter 6, there are really five sections in this chapter to tell us who Jesus is. Let's go through them very quickly. If you look to chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, you find that Jesus is rejected at Nazareth by his hometown, people that knew him and saw him grow up. That's when Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. In verses 7 through 13, that's when Jesus sends out the 12 apostles and they go and do mighty works. They cast out demons, they perform miracles, and they teach. Verses 14 to 29 is a little bit of a is a little bit of a parenthesis. There we find King Herod is worried because he too wonders who Jesus is. He thinks maybe it's John the Baptist who's come back to life. Well, when Mark starts that story, he says, wait, you know what? I need to tell you what happened to John the Baptist. So from verse 14 to verse 29, we find out about John the Baptist and his beheading. And verse 30, 
from verse 30 to verse 44, that's when you see the miracles of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And that's when the light comes on. You realize Jesus is a better Moses. He takes him into the fields, and there you find out Jesus is the great shepherd. He's a better David. Verse 45 to 52, that's where we just come off this story of Jesus sends the disciples out onto the Sea of Galilee. He goes up to pray. The storm comes, and Jesus walks on the water and calms the storm, scares the disciples to death. It gets in the boat, and they get to the other side, and that's where this passage picks up. Mark is telling us that he is, is fully God and fully man. Verses 53, 54, 55, and 56, what you have there is something you'd call a summary. If you're my age, you were in school and you were assigned a book and you didn't get it read, you went and found cliff notes of the book. It gave you a summarized version of what the book was and you hoped to get by on what you saw in the cliff notes. Well, verse 53, 54, 55, and 56, it's the end of chapter 6, and it's Mark giving us the summarized version. So what I want to do with concision, and hopefully with some precision, is to give you a quick, clear picture of who Jesus is using these four verses. Because this passage tells us that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you should worship him. If you're not a church member, you're not a church goer, well, I, I hope today for you at least to hear it, that Jesus Christ is Lord. You should worship him. Let's see what we've been doing. Since it's a summary, we can go quickly. Let's go through the text. Let's walk through it, then come back and make some application points. Join me there in verse 53. <clears throat> the text says, when they had crossed over, Remember, they were on the other side, and uh, after feeding the 5,000, the people want to make Jesus king. Jesus gets the disciples, puts them in a boat, sends them out onto the Sea of Galilee, and he tells them to go to Bethsaida. Sends them out. They crossed over, but they didn't land at Bethsaida. They landed at a place called Gennesaret, there in verse 53. They moored to the shore. That means they anchored to the shore. Probably means that Gennesaret was a big enough town that there was an anchorage. There was a port there. This is not some small village. They're coming up on the sea, on the shore, beaching their boat. They're anchoring. Gennesaret, in fact, is a big enough town that sometimes the Sea of Galilee is called the Lake of Gennesaret. They come to Gennesaret, and verse 54, when they got out of the boat, the people, his fame has already spread. The people recognize him. Business picks up in verse 55. Mark says they start to run about they go through the whole region. They started bringing sick people on their beds wherever they heard that he was. So rumor would be on the air. Jesus has stopped at this village, and so they would take their friends and run there. Verse 56 is the summary statement. Verse 56. And wherever he came, in villages and cities, the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him, see the word implore, they begged him that, that they might touch even, this is the most famous part of this passage, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And Mark tells us that as many people did that, if that's what they believed, and they reached out and touched that, he tells us that they were made well. Do you see that in verse 56, the end of verse 56? 
that Greek word made well is the word sodzo, if you like that sort of thing. It's the same word used for salvation, to be delivered. What did Jesus come to do? To sozo, to save people. Okay, so having the story just sort of stretched out a little bit, let's go back and what are the things that we can learn? I'll give you a couple. Here's the first one, number one. The first thing we learn is that he, he has all the prerogative. When we say Jesus is Lord, we mean that he is in complete and full control. I'm sure where I get that. In verse 53, you'll notice in verse 53, look where they landed in verse 53. They landed in a place called Gennesaret. If you back up several verses to verse 45, when they have just come off the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus puts them in the boat. He sends them to a place called Bethsaida in verse 45. They were going to Bethsaida, but they land in a place called Gennesaret. Gennesaret is on the other side of the sea than from Bethsaida. It's like if you decided you were going to go to Gastonia and took off going down the road and you end up in Richmond, Virginia. The absolute opposite wrong direction. In fact, if you take Bethsaida, Bethsaida in relationship to to Gennesaret is on the other side of the sea. That's not where they're supposed to land It's not where they thought they would end up. In the same way. Many of you sitting here, certainly me and Connie, you thought you were going to Bethsaida. I mean, you were even sure it's God's will. I mean, the disciples were even told by Jesus himself. got into this terrible storm, you got into a terrible storm, Jesus gets in the boat with you, you are spared the storm, the storm passes, and you look up and you find yourself somewhere where you didn't want to be. Honestly, this this ministered to me this week, truthfully. I, I usually write the manuscript for a sermon on a Saturday. I had this sermon completely done last Saturday. And I was hoping that it would be something that would be useful for your life. And it turns out it was most useful for mine. There are a lot of you sitting in this room right now, like I'm feeling where I'm standing. This is not where you thought you would be. This is not how you thought you would be feeling at this point in your life. This is not what you thought would be going on at this age. By this time in your life, you figured it would be completely different. You had it generally laid out that it has not turned out at all like you expected. You thought you were headed to Bethsaida. You end up at Gennesaret. You you might have even been told of something else. You were told you were going to Bethsaida. You ended up at Gennesaret. There are a lot of you sitting in this room right now. You have said to yourself, maybe you said it out loud, this is not what I signed up for. 
You heard God's will that you thought you heard, you thought you knew it was right. You, you, you read and prayed and you felt a certain direction. You had an understanding of God's will and now you're on a, the other side. This is not where you thought you were going. How do you, how do you live in Gennesaret? You thought you were going to Bethsaida. I'll be figuring it out myself with you. A couple of things I'd like to suggest for us as we move forward. The first one is I am praying for our joyful surrender. I would invite you to pray for joyful surrender. I'm not saying surrender as if to say I give up or you've lost. Surrender in a joyful And this joyful realization that it is beyond your control, that Jesus is Lord. He has all prerogative. He sends us where he wants. He changes directions when he wants. He puts us in storms. He brings us out of storms. That he is the potter. We are the clay. And and to joyfully surrender them. You, you You may have seen the commercial before church. I don't know if commercial is the right word, but you understand. Uh, the announcements. And one of the announcements, what's going to happen on Wednesday night? Wednesday night starts. Awana starts back up. We put the thing in full gear. Student ministry starts back up. Foundations start back up. Dr. Kyler Smith will be teaching here on Wednesday nights. My assignment is I'll be at Harris campus on Wednesday nights. And, and we've already laid out months ago what we'd be doing. And I have been given for my very first Wednesday night back after the passing of my son to teach the book of Job. Now that's the Lord doing that. I am forced, if I'm teaching something, I am forced to learn as much as I can to, in, in order to teach it. This week will be God's word ministering to my heart. Let me pray for joyful surrender. Something else I would recommend is to get close Get close to God and stay close. Get close. Some of you right now, you would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm coming to church, but there's, there's no dynamism in your relationship to God. I would say we need to take the right steps to put the thing in gear, whatever needs to be done differently. If it means picking the word of God up, it means spending time in prayer, it means finding an accountability partner, getting in a deep group, being a part of a community group, showing up at church. For you to walk through it, and, and to be able to live with some sort of joy in a place you didn't expect to be in, it means you're getting close and staying close to God. I'll give you a third consideration. Number three, I'm going to invite you, and I need to do it myself, is to seek contentment in Christ. There's something steadying about your life when you find your contentment in Christ alone and everything else can happen around you. It doesn't mean you don't weep at tragedy and that your heart breaks for certain things that happen. It means that it doesn't destroy you because your contentment is in Christ. I've been praying for other people. Oftentimes I've been praying for myself that the, the joy of the Lord would be my strength. You you ought to write that prayer down for yourself. That's right from the Bible. Pray, ask God, make the joy of the Lord my strength. I'll give you a a fourth way to work through this, and that is 
to find a way, you personally need to find a way to serve God's church. The overwhelming majority of the people that walk into Hickory Grove come and enjoy the worship service, and I'm thankful for that. You call this your church home. You love it here. I would say let's take another step. What's going to help you be involved is to find a way to serve the Lord's church, to, to quit being insular, looking inward. Let's look outward. Another thing that I've been thinking about that might be helpful when you think of the Lord's prerogative, and that is to start being thankful. Thankful. Especially when you're hurt. When you're hurt. Start being thankful. You can start small. Start with the things that you see. God's provision in your life. Food to eat. Car to ride in. Home to live in. People that love you. Be thankful. And then start moving that gratitude toward the things that are much harder to be thankful for. Until you can finally turn that gratitude all the way over to the thing that hurt you the most. Thank God for it. If I, were, if I were Kyler Smith, I would put this in, um, I, would, I would list four points, and I would have them all begin with the letter R. Because <laughs> it likes to alliterate, which I like to do too, I just don't have the imagination for it. Here are a couple of things. What would I invite you to do? The first one would be to redeem, to redeem the time. Redeem the time. God has given you a set number of days on this earth. Redeem the time, the Bible says, because the days are evil. Don't be bored. Don't sit and let your mind wander off into something. You find a way to serve the Lord with the time that you've been given. The second one would be to rejoice in the Lord. God has given you so much. Turn your attention to the goodness of God, the blessings of God. Rejoice in what the Lord has done. If that's not enough, the third hour would be to remember, remember the cross. Let's go to the very core of what it means to be a Christian. Let's stand there at the cross of Christ. Let's see God and his goodness give us Jesus who dies on the cross in the place of sinners. God raising him from the dead. And the promise of Christianity is that at the cross, our sins are paid for and grace is given. Remember the cross. And a fourth one would be to resolve. Resolve not to grumble. To grumble. Here's what I mean. It's easy especially if things are terrible. Things go poorly. If you've been through a whole lot and you've been hurt real bad, it is so easy to slip off into asking, why me? A lot of, you felt that nagging, why me? And I'm just asking in your heart to help you be healthy and strong and move forward to, to resolve in your heart to not grumble, but to realize Jesus is Lord. He has all the prerogative. Let me give you another consideration. Here's the second one. I'm so glad for this. Think with me about him. He is the friend of sinners. The friend of sinners. When you see it in verse 54, notice the people on the, on the shore. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. They moored at the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region. When they saw who it was, that it was Jesus, they didn't run from him. They ran to him. They didn't recognize him and run away. They recognized him and ran to him. Paul Tripp says that, Jesus got on the shore, and when Jesus got to the shore, he is immediately confronted 
with the dramatic brokenness of the world. Jesus looks around and sees brokenness. You see it, you live it, you felt it. Why are kind of not walking through this? It's the fallen words, brokenness. And as people that have been redeemed by Christ, you and I should model this. And this week, so many of you have modeled that for us. If Jesus is the friend of sinners, then we are the friend of sinners and we take them to the Savior. How do we do this? We do it with hospitality. We open up our homes. We do this with with a genuine concern for people. I have received more contacts from so many of you. And a lot of times it's, hey, I don't know what to say but we love you, we're concerned. Just concerned. There's been, there, there's been a, a real gospel clarity. I would say if you're doing this, we're thinking about taking a friend to Christ, it's good for us to have a gospel clarity to understand that God is holy, created us in His image, the image of, that we have in us. Our image of God in us has been disfigured by our sin, that sin has separated us from God. Christianity says that God gives us Jesus, who's fully man and fully God, and Jesus lives perfectly, dies on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead, and the hope of the gospel, the promise of the gospel, the reason people are baptized is that they believe that Jesus died for them. It's the gospel. We want to have gospel clarity. How do we we represent Jesus? We do so with truth, with truth, And with love. We believe that he has all the prerogative. Number two, that he is a friend to sinners. I'll give you a third one. Number three, he is worth the effort. He is worth the effort. Look at all the effort in verses 55 and 56. Notice the description, and I'll just read it slowly. In verses 55 and 56, the text says that when the people saw it was him, verse 55, they ran about the whole region and began to bring sick people on their beds to wherever he was and wherever he came, villages and cities and countrysides, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him. So look at the words in verse 55 and 56. There was an urgency. I wouldn't write that one down. It was urgent. They ran about. They were urgent. There was some intentionality. Intentionality. They They brought people to Jesus. They tracked down where he was. They were willing to work. There was some inconvenience that comes with Christianity. Give ourselves to the gospel and reaching people. There's genuine inconvenience. Where do I get that? Well, they found people in their sick beds and like on stretchers. It would take at least two people, one in the front, one in the back, maybe four people, one on each side, carrying a friend to Jesus. There's genuine effort here. Look, it's amazing to me. It's amazing what one jolt of Christian effort does to point people to Christ. Verse 55 says that they were taking Jesus to wherever he was. So in other words, they weren't sure. Was he in the village? Was he in the town? Was he out in the country? They would follow the rumor of where Jesus was. There was a commitment to go the extra mile to do whatever it takes to find out the correct location and information and to 
Get the broken people to Jesus. One of the prevailing things the gospel does to our hearts is it reminds us he is worth the effort. It's worth the effort to talk to your friends. It's worth the effort and the uncomfortable conversation to say, I'm afraid that if you stay on this path, that you're going to end in destruction. It's worth the effort to keep reaching out in the name of Jesus. Let me give you another thing to consider. <clears throat> the fourth one. Number four. Had to stretch a little bit for this, but I think we can get there. Number four. He is our only righteousness. Our only righteousness. Let me share what, where I get that. I'll get to the healing in a moment, but verse 56. Notice what it is. It's probably the most famous part of this whole passage. Verse 56. Wherever he came... In villages, in cities, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it were made well. Now I'll get to that in just a moment. I'll get to the healing in just a moment. But when you read verse 56, you'll notice what it is that they are actually touching. You see the, the fringe or the hem of his garment. It's actually probably better translated tassel. That's important. It's important because all adult Jewish men who were following the law, if you were, were an adult Jewish man serious about keeping the law, you wore a robe. And on that robe, there were four tassels. And you wore those tassels to keep the law. It comes from Numbers chapter 15, verse 38, when Moses says, A cord of blue on a tassel of each corner, and it shall be a tassel for you to look at that and remember the commandment of the Lord. So here is a symbol on his robe that people are reaching out to touch. And they were reaching out to touch the obedience of Christ. Hey, look, it's important for us to understand what it means and how we become a Christian. Well, what it means to be a Christian, oftentimes I'm afraid people have this idea that I wanna, I'm going to try to live right, I'm going to get my life together, I'm going to start being nice, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to change, and, I'm gonna, and if I do that and get enough of those good things stacked up, then I'll go to heaven. So you work for, you work toward grace. And that is not Christianity at all. That is something else altogether. Christianity is we, we have no righteousness of our own. We have nothing that can please God. We need the righteousness of someone else. And, and Christianity tells us that it is the grace of God found in Jesus, His death on the cross to take the wrath of God away and His perfect life, His righteousness. See, we, we, we are not holy. God demands holiness. We need holiness. The holiness that you have is not in you being a perfect person. The holiness that you have is you reaching out to the perfection of Jesus. That's how, that's how God can love sinners. God can love sinners. He can punish sin and be just. And love sinners being the justifier when you're covered in Christ and His righteousness alone. This is how God saves sinners and also maintains His demand for holiness our holiness is 
in Christ. Look, Jesus is Lord. And you should worship him. If you're first time here or hadn't been in church in a while, you should hear that what we believe about Jesus is that he has all the prerogative. That he is the friend of sinners. That, that he's worth your effort. That Christ alone is our righteousness. I'll give you one last one and <clears throat> we'll pray together. Number five. And that is, he reverses the curse. Reverses the curse. Here it is in verse 56. It's the most famous part. They laid the sick in the marketplaces. They implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And whoever did that, as many as touched it, were made well. That word, sozo, they were, they were saved. They were delivered. Here is the... Here is the sign and the signia that in Christ everything broken will one day be restored. Here is the physical picture of a spiritual reality. Every miracle in the New Testament, every miracle in the Gospels is given to instruct us. To tell us that one day everything broken will be restored. Even you, no disease, no, no hurt, no sin, no dark hole that you've gone into, no addiction, no cancer, no loneliness, no abuse will be out of the reach of God's restoration. Isaac Watts, great hymn writer. Isaac Watts wrote what has become one of the great Christmas songs. You know it as Joy to the World. First line is Joy to the World. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. But it's the third stanza. It's the third stanza that is spoken to me this week. Third stanza. No more let sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found, as far as as far as the curse is found. Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ reverses the curse. Jesus is Lord. And you should worship him. Will you join me as we pray together? With your heads bowed this morning. As we go to the Lord. Father in heaven, I pray in the name of Jesus, on the righteousness of Jesus by the power of the Spirit, that you would bring healing and hope. That you would visit your people with joy. Pray for all of those that have lost hope that today you would restore it. I pray that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. I pray for flourishing in our souls. I pray for hope. I pray that you would heal brokenness.
pray that you would remove sin. I pray that you would drop scales from people's eyes that they might see the glory of Jesus. God, I pray that you would remove the hardness of heart and open hearts to believe. I pray that you find us faithful as a church. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the church at Hickory Grove. I pray the, I pray the richest blessings here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.